0: This is Professional Life Crisis. I'm your host, Amanda. And by now, I'm a damn near professional at having a life crisis. This podcast is here to help you get through those messy, uncertain times riddled with ramen noodles and self-doubt. If you're an ambitious, curious young professional trying to pave your way in the world, it's not as scary as I once thought it was, but I really wish I'd had someone to tell me that. We talk about how margot robbie and greta gerwig
1: didn't get an oscar nomination
0: yeah what the fuck is up with that it's uh, like it's, art imitating life or life right, imitating yeah, art. what is it yeah. life imitating art i don't
1: know it's everyone had that same take mm-hmm. it's just it's disappointing it was a it was a great movie like really it was what? it was well made it had a good message like it was funny
0: and they completely duped everyone yeah. when all of the preview stuff and all the like PR hype started coming out about the Barbie movie literally not one person hinted at the fact that it was like a feminist manifesto like yeah I feel like it was, like, one of those TikTok videos where a girl is, like, on screen, she's talking to the camera, she's, like, doing her lip gloss, and she's like, I love this product so much, it's so great, like, it's a new lip stain, whatever, and she's like, okay, girls, now that we lost the boys, like, it's time to... <laughs> oh, <stop."> yeah. <laughs> you know, Start like, the revolution. <laughs> exa- yeah, yeah, I felt like that was kind of, like, Barbie movie, it was, like, yeah. disguised as one thing, and then I, it was just, like, way deeper than I expected.
1: The no- The nominations were disappointing, and I say that with a... Like, I didn't see all the other female, like, best actresses, so Same. can't compare, but America Ferrera got nominated for the supporting yeah. actress, which and she was great, super exciting, but I, I, I don't know what came over me. I was like, she's been in, like, a lot, right?
0: Yeah. And well, I looked up it?
1: her Wikipedia page and her IMDB, and I was like, shit, she's, like, she's been, she's, active. She's been acting and active, and yeah. she already, like, had, like, a couple Emmys from, a, she's I don't awesome. know if it was Ugly Hood Betty. Pants. No. Yeah. She did Ugly Betty, and then she did, what was that, uh... She did Superstore, which I also been watching that one too, and it oh, is very I'm, funny. I that. It's like it it, it it has it has the energy of like the Office, like part mm. right? like where you're kind of I... like documentary style.
0: I can't, I cannot. I know you don't. I know you don't. I know, I, I know, I know, so I know. As I said, it, I'm like you're the
1: wrong person to talk about. It's not it. my, <laughs> my target. <audience.
0: laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Um, I am not the target audience for the Office. I almost am, but like I mm. need a less dry sense of humor. It's just it's too much. It's too uncomfortable. I like cringe. <laughs> <laughs> did you watch? There's a new movie on Netflix called Dumb Money and it's all about the short squeeze of GameStop back in 2020.
1: Oh my god. No. It was so good. America not... Ferrera was in it. Oh, was she really? Yeah, yeah. Sure. Oh, wait. Yeah, and like I get. I feel like I've seen the trailer. Yeah, she's in it. Yeah, was she's, it good?
0: Yeah, it, it actually was good. It's like all about how this guy, Kevin McGill, Kevin Gill, I don't I forget his name. Kevin um, Keith, <laughs> Keith Gill, whatever. Yeah. Keith, yeah. Uh, Kevin, <laughs> <laughs> Kevin McGill, <McAllister, laughs> <laughs> literally home alone. Um, I think his name's Keith Gill. All right, close enough. And uh, it's all about how he like basically started the, or I don't know if he started the Wall Street uh, Bets thread, or mm. if he was just like a very active participant on there. Okay, so we are here to actually talk today about professional life and the life crises that you have had going through your career journey. Mm. And I appreciate you coming on. I think this is going to be a great chat, especially because you are going through a transition right now and I think it's very timely yeah apropos or whatever they say in French. We. Mm. <laughs> oui. Yeah, we we
1: exactly. We we. I'm I'm super excited to do this with you. Um I've been super excited for you and proud of you going on this journey. Um oh, and creating thank your you. podcast and being able to do it with you and like with, you know, one of my best friends is, is so exciting. And Stop. you're right. this
0: is just your campaign to be the co-host.
1: <laughs> How am I doing? How am I doing? And to your yeah, to your comment, I am currently going through a like just quit my job.
0: Yeah, like literally <laughs> like last a week, week ago. I know I'm honestly really glad that we booked this day to talk about this because it's so like fresh in your mind um but okay I know all about you obviously but everybody else doesn't so tell us about yourself
1: so yeah you know all about me because we've known each other for like 20 years uh but my name is Harry yes thank you my name is my name is Harry Catalani um grew up on Long Island um and not like anybody
0: could tell based on your accent well, for sure. Yeah. and my accent comes out when i'm with you yeah uh... <laughs> and right before you know what we did we got coffee and we hung out with my dog
1: <laughs> yeah no so uh we grew up together i went to school upstate and for the past six and a half years now i've been uh working at the same company company at anheuser-busch and that has brought me to Missouri, to California, San Francisco, LA, um, you know, work travel to Florida and like a bunch of other states. So I have been kind of in this whirlwind, it feels like, of professional travel, work travel, professional growth, personal growth by moving to different places, taking on new jobs, doing all this stuff that um, I feel like if high school me was like, you weren't at a beer company? I'm like, well not anymore. But it'd be it'd be it'd be a really interesting um, you know, kind of conversation to have with myself.
0: Yeah. And you have I think traveled and lived in the most places mm. due to work out of all of our friends. Yeah. Um, and something I always admired about you is that you would get brought to live in all these different places like especially in the very beginning like we had just graduated college a lot of us moved back to new york and they were like you're going to missouri, missouri. very fitting though as we are going to watch the kansas city chiefs game yeah. today that's in missouri right
1: it, it famously yeah
0: yeah okay great just checking <laughs> But, yeah, so you were part of this, um, like, initial rotational program, which brought you to a bunch of different places, and then you were living in SF, LA, like, the desert burbs of LA.
1: Yeah, I lived outside Los Angeles. I'm not, I'm not gonna lie, I lived in Riverside, but that's, like, where I worked, But you
0: actually lived at Emily's apartment on the weekends (laughs) in Marina del Rey.
1: Did I, have I told you this? I put four, so I lived in Riverside for eight months, Mm -hmm. I put 14,000 miles on my car driving to LA, (laughs) like, almost every weekend. To say at emily's apartment
0: you put fourteen thousand miles on your <clears throat> car in eight months in
1: eight months uh because i kept going into la or laguna or like newport like you oh kept like God, leaving insane. the yeah. desert you know yeah yeah well um, i mean when you're
0: in the desert you, you kind of just want to that's leave. crazy yeah that is crazy yeah. but yeah i think that that's something that i really admire about you and like some of our other friends who have journeyed outside of where we grew up and <clears> started their career in another place and I think you learn a lot about yourself as a person and it causes you to grow a lot mm-hmm. and I would love to hear more about that as we get into the conversation. Yeah. Um, but can you tell us a little bit about what brought you to the journey of working at a beer company and working in HR? Like, what hmm. was that like?
1: Yeah. Um, so yeah, for, for a little bit of context, I, I've been in HR for my, my entire career. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I was in college, I had an HR internship my sophomore year. Um, I worked at Boeing for a summer. So I lived outside Seattle. Um, but I wanted to transition. Oh my god, you
0: did! Yeah, they're not doing so well right now. <laughs>
1: no. Oops.
0: Glad you got out of there.
1: <laughs> yeah. Don't. Well, I guess if the FAA says you can go on a 737 max nine or whatever it is, then you can. You could probably do that. But yeah, so they're they're that having was some funny. issues
0: back in i think it was like 2022 or 2021 it was a couple years ago my mom and i went down to florida and we flew the max eight mm. and like after we landed they released a statement that the max eight wasn't safe was and we were like it. good thing we made it <laughs> like, okay and now it's happening again with the max Nine.
1: Oh god yeah no it's it's not great yeah. for them yeah. but anyway so i didn't love hr at the Boeing. It was a it was a really interesting company, but it's it was one of the older American companies. Like it was very mm. bureaucratic, and HR there, what felt very like executional. It felt like being a stereotypical like office like HR manager, and mm-hmm. I was like, I don't. Mm.
0: That wasn't your brand. I was like, I don't love HR. that.
1: No, yeah. no, no. So then my sophomore year at a couple internships, I did a consulting internship in New York City and then one consulting internship in uh, Connecticut. Um, And it was like HR consulting. So it was like compensation, um, evaluations. It was uh, like comp philosophy, uh, coaching, things like that. So it was like still in the realm, but it was in consulting. And so when I was graduating, when we were seniors, I really wanted to go into the consulting world. It was a super competitive year, because we graduated in 2017, yep. and I think that I really wanted to work at Deloitte, mm. and I remember that I was going through the process, and it was—I thought it was going well, but they had so many like returned intern offers that there yeah. were like so few spots, right. and a lot of
0: because that's how those summer programs yeah, work. It's that's like as long as you don't feeder. majorly <laughs> fuck up, right? <laughs> they give you an offer at the end of the summer, everything's fine and dandy, happy, yeah. you know, everybody's good.
1: And it didn't, and it didn't work out. So I, mm. I didn't, I didn't get that uh, job. I wasn't getting interviews at other places, and mm. you know me, I was like. I was like, oh my God, it's October and I don't have a job. And everyone has and a job everyone offer signed. Isn't that
0: crazy when you think back to it that we had job offers signed in October yeah. to start like the next October? It's cr- like it's crazy how far in advance yeah. that happens. And
1: also how different the recruitment world is today, which we can talk about like, Ooh, yeah, later. because yeah, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. I was doing a little bit of that recently.
0: Oh I'd love to hear but, about that. But um yeah.
1: Uh but uh I was I remember very distinctly that I was it was like 1130 p.m. at night. And I'm sad. I'm sad, Harry, at this moment. (laughs) And I'm drinking a bottle of wine on my bed, like, in our off-campus house, just applying for jobs. And I see on LinkedIn, Anheuser-Busch People Trainee Program, which is, like, kind of, like, their version of the, like, a rotational program Mm -hmm. of sorts. and Like,
0: intro HR. Yeah,
1: like, learn everything, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I saw it, and uh, drinking a little bit, I was like, I like Bud Light. So I was like, cool. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Send in an application, immediately get an email that it was like, okay, take a culture fit test. I took the culture fit test. And then at like 1 a.m., I get an email from the lead recruiter being like, hey, like, congratulations. Like, we're setting you up with the first round interview. Like, you're a little, like, we like are going to move really quickly. Not even
0: like an hour and a half, like not later? Right. Oh, my God. God
1: bless this woman who was you know, full swing recruitment season, it's super late, and she's, like, banging out emails, and she's like, I have an interview for you tomorrow at 9am. So, and I'm <laughs> like, cool. Sorry, this,
0: this doesn't happen. That's, it's- <laughs> that's not I, I don't know. <laughs> Okay,
1: yeah. And so, because it, it had been posted, and, like, Cornell's schedule was, like, towards the end of like when their cycle was, so she's like, I need you to get in the door, like, really quickly, do an interview. I go, I show up, it went well, and then that afternoon by, like, noon, she goes, hey, congratulations, like, we have a final round interview in New York City in, like, four days. Can you make it work? We will get you a ticket, Mm. uh, like, a bus ticket. And I was like, sure. Um, I go down, and the thing about Anheuser-Busch, uh, is that, uh, they do panel interviews, so it's you... You know, four other, five other candidates, um, and then like five or six executives, um, and then 45 minutes, and it's like ping pong. And so they'll ask one person questions. Well, what do you think of their answer? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Wait, wait, wait. <clears throat> they have multiple candidates. Uh-huh. in the room, interviewing yeah. for the same position. Yeah. I'm sorry, I have, Did, never, have I never heard of a panel interview like that. Yeah. No.
1: It's bananas. From yeah.
0: my experience, a panel interview is a bunch of different execs, people on the team, <laughs> all asking you questions. There yeah. aren't multiple candidates.
1: There are multiple candidates. This
0: is wild. Mm-hmm. How does that feel? It
1: was very stressful and it is it's a really weird dynamic because like what's your company culture like what are you looking for do you want the candidates to feed off each other Mm. do you want like them to stand out but how do you do it in an appropriate kind of like professional sense without steamrolling and not actually adding value right so
0: you don't want to be the person on the bachelor who's like oh um, hi i'm sorry like i just wanted to steal him for the third time tonight So like could i just like get in here and make my point again you know you don't want to be the pilot's like like, no (laughs)
1: like you're not gonna rose and we knew that yeah, 40 you minutes gotta ago get
0: the balance, okay? okay yeah great <clears throat> um whoa, and okay so it's like how well <clears throat> do you play with others
1: right and you know me i love to talk yeah and it's 45 minutes we do our quick intros and then we're getting asked questions i don't get asked a question for 30 minutes whoa and i'm like I had the worst bus trip of my life to get here.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What, was someone eating tuna next to you or something? It
1: was supposed to take five and a half hours to get from Ithaca, New York, to New York City. It took nine, (gasps) so I'm late, and I'm in a mood. Yeah. You know? And now I'm there the next morning, I'm not getting questions, and I'm getting, like, annoyed. Mm -hmm. And I get asked a question, the one question I get asked, which was, like, a consulting-based question. Mm. And I responded, you know, with my answer.
0: Was it, like, a case interview kind of a thing? So, the question, question?
1: it was a case interview, but it wasn't framed as one. Mm -hmm. And the question was essentially, like, Bud Light sales in St. Louis are 90% of the market, and in New York City, it's 5% of the market. That's a problem. Fix it. And I go, okay, well... I don't know that I agree with the premise of the question. I was like, I grew up in New York on Long Island, and I was like, 5% of the market in Manhattan could be crazy numbers. I was like, it's the most of our city, yada, yada. And St. Louis is the home of Bud Light. Should it be 90 or should it be 95? And I go, I think we should be seeing what we're doing right in this city or like what our competitors are at. And the VP of HR, he goes, oh, well, no, like the Bud Light share in St. Louis is growing, and in New York it's going down. And... Again, I've been peeved. And I go, mm-hmm. okay, that's an entirely different question.
0: The Harry comes right. out.
1: And so, you know, and so I was like, oh, so gosh, shit. And I was like, okay, so finish it. Go. I'm on the bus home. And I'm like, oh, my God. And then two days later, I got an offer. Huh. And I was like, which at the time and the company culture was very competitive. It was, yeah. we want the grittiest folks that are smart and can, like, you know, Build whatever kind of influence, uh, you know in a room. And that has since changed. I, I've seen our interview practices or not ours. I don't work there anymore, but I've seen that change based on like where the company culture is. like what mm. kind of talent are you looking to identify? based on what kind of an environment you're trying to foster. Then it was competitive, gritty, we got to win back market share, yada, yada, yada. Mm. Um, and it's evolved since then. Mm. So the questions are a bit like different. Now? So I think it's, it's more collaborative. Okay. And I think that's a broader shift that we've seen in the CPG industry as, you know, consumers evolve. If there's anything that we learned from COVID was that consumer insights... Are perishable, mm-hmm. and in the past, where you would have these years-long consumer trends, we've seen change in the span of a couple months.
0: Oh yeah, it's like cycles turnover yeah. so much faster yeah. as a result of COVID,
1: and that's a byproduct of so many different things, whether well, it's trends or you know different environments and things like that. So it's how can mm-hmm. we adapt to that and it's the the answer that was decided was being more collaborative being mm-hmm. more you know open to to ideas and things like that which is great you know i, I think it's different and I, yeah. I don't think there's anything wrong with that but it's definitely a shift in how we conducted interviews and things like that. i also yeah. need to preference i don't speak for anheuser-busch <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah nothing that caveat you say, no, represents is, the views of the
1: company uh, yeah of course nice
0: we've heard a little bit about your journey from thinking that you might want to go into consulting to like rogue applying to this job at ab yeah. and <laughs> having a little bit of a rocky experience getting to the job offer but you wound up taking it you wound up joining we and did it, joe. yeah we did it joe should we take should we on <laughs> we did- it we did it joe <laughs> Still one of my favorite memes of all time Amazing. um and so for someone who doesn't know what being in hr is yeah. or doesn't know what an hr business partner is can you explain to someone like they're five years old like what is that job
1: yeah so part-time therapist <laughs> part-time accountant mediator I, I think in my experience at the company that i worked at there's a view of like, strategic people business partners, which Mm -hmm. felt different than, you know, the internship I mentioned at Boeing, felt very transactional. Whereas in the roles that I've had over the past couple of years, I have felt like I had a voice and a seat at the table, not just on people related things like engagement or benefits. But more so, how can we develop talent? How can we build a pipeline for critical roles that ultimately move the business forward? Because mm. in corporate America, that should usually be the first thing is how are we kind of growing, you know, our business? In what way is this increasing sales, right? That's
0: really interesting. Mm-hmm. I think most people have a very narrow view of what HR does. And yeah,
1: like, I hate it. quite
0: honestly, like a <laughs> negative view. Because mm-hmm. most people don't have great experiences with like the HR lady, you know, like... Yeah. But it seems like it's way more strategic and way more all-encompassing. Do you think that's a result of being the, the... Is that the business partner part of the role? Or is that just, like, all HR roles are just deeper than what we see on the surface?
1: I think it's a little bit of both. I think that there's... The thing that always kind of bugged me the most was when, like, oh, HR is telling me to do this. Or, oh, this is HR. It's like, first of all, you know my name. We worked <laughs> together for six and a <laughs> half years. But I, th- I think there has been a shift in the view of HR and the exposure that as a department we have is always going to be greater um, than other kinds of areas because we're seeing every aspect of the business. Mm. And so if you are enabling a structure or a culture or like a strategic business partner type role to feed into that kind of inherent piece of the roles and responsibilities, you can get a lot out of that team just from sheer perspective. And that's a perspective, that's like a, a scope that has always existed, but hasn't necessarily been leveraged. Yeah. And it's been one of my favorite things about, you know, working at Anheuser-Busch is that it's built into our practices, our cycles and things like that, where it, it is a voice to have at the table, you know, really kind of enable the idea that the people and the talent are a really great strength.
0: If someone were interviewing for an HR position, are there any questions that you could think of that they should be asking in an interview to identify whether it's one of these more strategic HR roles Mm -hmm. or if it's just like, just handle the employee complaints kind of roles?
1: Yeah, I think asking about the critical projects That are associated with this role, right? So if it's ensuring that we finish our people cycle and benefits enrollment, like execution of the engagement plan and things like that, those are important things. Those are critical and key things, but are they strategic? Are they actually tied to other aspects of the business that are less traditionally HR associated with. So are some key projects working on how the org is designed in a way to Really allow for synergies and ways of working, um mm-hmm. and essentially be more efficient and effective in their jobs. Mm-hmm. If you're supporting sales and marketing and yada yada yada,
0: right? Um, so you kind of want to yeah. find out how cross-functional mm-hmm. this role is, or is seen as currently at the company.
1: Yeah, it, it would be that. And then what would like? What is the general routine with the client group that you're supporting? How often? are those meetings and one-to-ones if it's like yeah in the leadership call once a month that isn't the level of exposure that you should have in order to drive a degree of change that is going to be beneficial mm-hmm. still doing important things and it's and it's not to diminish that but if you're a part of the leadership team you're on you know the monthly the weekly but then there's also these scheduled one-to-ones with the the leaders to identify key areas of opportunity right mm-hmm. that's that's important yeah yeah because that shows that you have a seat at the table
0: right um, and you're seen as having value in right. that way
1: <clears throat> and your positional authority as well yeah
0: mm. I think that also could be a good question to ask if you have anybody in your network that works at the company in HR. These are questions you could ask, Mm -hmm. like your kind of like peer mentor kind of person to be like, hey, in your day to day, are you actually involved in these cross functional meetings or decisions? Like, do you actually feel like you have a strategic seat at the table or do you feel like you're like way more just like operational to handle HR type of tasks? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's really good because I think that's something that's been pretty unique and and really great about your role. And I don't know that every HR role is like that, but also like this conversation is really interesting for me because I don't work in HR. So it's interesting to hear it from someone who does. Yeah. So we're going to start to talk a little bit about your professional life crisis. (laughs) which one (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) which year yeah which era right 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 and like okay i think a lot of people feel like "Um, yeah Yeah. (laughs) um so what have some of the toughest obstacles been for you in your career
1: i think there's obviously been a couple i think Personal, we kind of alluded to before the roles that I've had, I lived in St. Louis, Missouri. I lived in Riverside, California. I lived in San Francisco. And I finally moved back to New York City um, and have been here for the past two and a half years. And for me, you know, there's a there's a personal and a professional growth aspect. Yeah, the personal aspect. Moving to a city where I don't know anybody, I had the benefit and the luxury and the privilege of mm-hmm. being in a rotational program, being with a cohort right. of like-minded twenty-two year olds who are in the same situation mm-hmm. and kind of figuring it out. You know, how does rent work in St. Louis? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let um, me tell you,
0: it's freaking cheap. It's
1: so cheap. <laughs> We're
0: if, the biggest apartment for eight hundred dollars.
1: If we, it was seven fifty. Stop. <laughs> If we have a tra- okay, we're gonna take it aside. If we had a chart of the square footage of I my apartments and it. the amount of rent that I've spent, they would go in opposite directions. In- inverse, totally, inverse, yeah. And it's oh it's God. miserable. And the amount of amenities don't don't. What are who is she? Yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah. That part- Amazing. it was like, huge that was probably worth living in st louis just that one thing
1: it had the single thing that i only ever want in any place i ever live and living in new york city i don't have it now i don't know when i'm gonna have it and it's an in, in-unit washer and dryer
0: mm.
1: it's so critical for mental I, health yeah it's in our building now and then in san francisco i had to go laundromat which oh, is
0: that's sweet. <sighs> yeah you had a cool um, apartment there too
1: the same, yeah, the San Francisco Bay Windows. It was on, uh, where was I? Lower Pacific Heights, great view of the city. It was actually a very yeah. nice apartment. Yeah. We just walk a
0: <laughs> All I remember about that apartment is that we watched that Octopus documentary <laughs> <laughs> on Netflix a couple years ago. Oh, uh,
1: yeah. Good after sex. That was after we did your Princess Diaries tour. Oh, yes.
0: Yeah. Around the city. And That's you showed bad. me the house where they, like, filmed the school. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was so fun. Yeah.
1: <laughs> okay, um, so... I felt... So, from a personal standpoint, I think being open and putting myself in that space while having a really great support network as well too. Like I don't want to discount having a really great organization that had good reload policies, a cohort of coworkers that were going through the same thing. And then a great group of friends and family back in New York, right. That mm-hmm. were always very supportive of just doing something. <laughs> yeah, we new. But I think I, I think I grew a lot. I think I learned a lot about myself and kind of, what it's like to live in a different city, what it's like to kind of figure out how to make new friend groups and things like that. So that's a that's a personal sense. In a professional kind of obstacle, when I moved to Riverside, I was a people business partner, like an HR manager. Mm-hmm. For one of our distribution centers. So, think every yeah, every Budweiser that was sold between LA and Palm Springs was delivered by one of the drivers, sold by a sales rep, you know, merchandise by a merchandiser at the supermarkets and things like that. Um, and I was the people person. So, I supported the entire site as the only point of contact from an HR perspective. And I was responsible for 240 employees. I sat on the leadership team.
0: That has a lot to do. That's that like a 25, 26 I was year 23. Old. When I
1: moved to when I when I first moved to California, I was 23, about to turn 24. Responsible for
0: 240 employees,
1: 240 employees, and a
0: lot of responsibility. It
1: was it was a trial by fire type of a experience Mm -hmm. where I sat on the leadership team and I had a position, I had positional authority where whatever I said, however I reacted in meetings, came from a place of. A leader of this branch is thinking X, right? In mm. some capacity. And I didn't know how to manage people. I didn't know I love talking. I love yada yada yada. But it's like I didn't know what it meant to have that carry weight. And it bit me in the ass a couple times. Mm. Where it's like, I famously no poker face. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> Yeah, everything you know in what your I'm head thinking. is on your mind. Yeah, yeah, it's on your face. Part of
1: my sleeve. Mm-hmm. I'm an open book. Yeah. Um, but that's not always appropriate, right? Especially
0: when you've been endowed with this like leadership aura mm-hmm. and you're not ready for it.
1: And I struggled. I struggled big time. That transition in California early on was uh, an issue for me personally and an issue for me professionally and was something that I, I had to learn and learn quickly. Mm-hmm. And that probably taught me a lot. It's probably one of the most, like, critical career experiences that I've had um, that I managed to come out of. And I came out of it in a good way. How did you,
0: like, work through that?
1: I had, you know, open conversations with my boss and was like, I I don't know what I don't know. Mm -hmm. And I'm uncomfortable with that and I need your help, which I didn't do for like, a couple months, because I was embarrassed. I, I was given this opportunity to grow, and it was a stretch, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, no, and I didn't want to be vulnerable in that way. hmm Until my boss was like, what's going on? And I was like, well.
0: <laughs> let me tell you. Let me you. tell
1: you. <laughs> yeah.
0: I know, you can, like, yeah. want to put on this face that you have it under control and that you are, like, punching above your weight. But I think actually opening up and being vulnerable with your boss that you are still learning and growing about some things actually does show a lot of maturity, even though it's like fucking hard.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And ultimately, I think part of my mantra as an HR professional is it, it was a disservice to myself and my growth, to my boss and the amount of time that she had to dedicate to me, and my client group of... I was flailing a little bit. Right. And if I'm not being open, if I'm, it's not that I wasn't open to like learning. Right. But I didn't know how to ask the right questions. Yeah. That's a disservice to my client group. And that, that is where I think people are like, my HR manager doesn't know what he's doing or Mm. what you're now just executing tasks.
0: Right. Their perception of you.
1: Yeah. Mm. Um, I think early on. And then I, I, you know, Kind of my pieces, my feet under me and, um, you know, learn what I had to learn. And then eight months later, I got asked to take a, the same job up in San Francisco for a branch up there that didn't have the support network of peers that were at similar branches across, scattered across Los Angeles and San Diego. This was the only branch in Northern California. My boss was like, you figured it out. It took some time, but yeah. I, I trust you go to, go to Oakland. Yeah. We have a business opportunity. It needs someone to figure out how to, how to kind of write the ship Mm -hmm. a little bit. Right.
0: I want to go back for a second because I think there's a big theme around young people Mm -hmm. taking on really ambitious roles and feeling like it's a little bit of a stretch. Yeah. You know, if you were giving advice to someone younger who were going through that kind of transition now, What would you tell them to help them develop those leadership skills? And maybe it's even more than skills. It's like a a leadership awareness about themselves. Yeah,
1: I think where I would give advice would be digging into what opportunity that you are seeking out, truly understanding what it's going to entail. Mm. And so that is doing informational interviews with folks who have had that job, who have that job in a somewhat different capacity um i did that a little bit but probably not as much as i i should have where i think i would have went in with a bit more eyes wide open versus i'm hot shit i know what i'm doing (laughs) (laughs) you should have
0: like maybe gained a little more perspective about yeah what the role was going to entail what the valuable like traits and skills would have been to go into that next level
1: it felt like an expectations game that Mm. i set myself up for failure Mm. um in the sense of like oh like i got this and then i didn't and then i got it's so easy to think that
0: you're hot shit when you're 23 i thought it was hot shit too
1: but yeah (laughs) but I, i think if i was like oh this is going to be more of a stretch right or more of a you know challenge me in different ways I think it would have been quicker for me to lean into the network of professional relationships that I developed when I lived in St. Louis in our headquarters of going to them and asking if they owned a certain process, you know, for support, for help earlier on Then I know what I'm doing, you mm-hmm. know? And I, and I and I think that was a bit of the, the whiplash where I was like, I already had this network and I just haven't been leveraging it because I thought I knew what I was going to be doing. Yeah. And then I got embarrassed and then I was like, okay... I need to I need to figure it out. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So maybe to avoid the embarrassment, we can like get a little bit more in your humble mindset. Yep. Think yep. about what people who have been through these similar experiences can offer you. Mm-hmm. And I think advice is like something you don't always have to implement, but it's good to just hear what other people have to say and you take what you think is valuable.
1: Yeah, and I think for corporate cpg rotational programs it's super common to see these trainees or these you know rotational kids right kind of go through that same experience that Mm -hmm. is valuable i did learn a lot from it and yes i was embarrassed but that's not necessarily a bad thing because if i wasn't embarrassed then I would've got fired. And then it's, then I'd be like, what happened? You know what Mm, I mean? Right. So The
0: embarrassment actually was like a signal to yourself that I need to be, all right, let me reflect, let me like Performance reviews are
1: coming up. I don't want to be like an underperformer. I think that's where like a bit of hubris can come in for, Mm -hmm. you know, these kids that are in rotational programs that think that they're hot shit and usually they are, but it's that, you know, where can you humble yourself a little bit? You don't know everything. No. I don't know everything now.
0: I think that's really good advice for anybody who is starting out and, in an opportunity where they have to level up yep. and kind of facing some challenges with doing that. So thanks for that advice. Let's talk a little bit about the story of your professional life crisis. So I'm curious to hear a little bit about what your most recent or most profound yeah. crisis was. So,
1: yeah, I think, um, professional life crises, um, <laughs> Every every four months, which is super exciting, um, relatable, and I and I think that comes from a place of like our friends, mm. my network, everyone. It feels like we're doing well, like we're successful, like we're taking on new challenges. And throughout my career, it's am I doing what is best for my longest career? Right for that that not one year goal, but that mm. thirty year goal. Yeah, and should I be doing this? Do I always want to be in beer? Do I want to be in HR? Do I want to go in the business? And so that's something that I've battled for six and a half years. Mm-hmm. Um, most recently, it was a little bit different and I think a little bit more existential where I, I think I've solved the, I like being in HR. Is it a function that I'm like super passionate about building engagement plans and things like that? Like not necessarily, but I think if I am bringing the right things to the table that as a function I think I can operate very well in mm-hmm. and the more that you move up in any organization you're gonna start managing people and that in and of itself becomes like a majority of your job is managing, right, managing a team. people. Uh, And it it doesn't matter what function is, you need functional skills, right? But it's how do you, how do you lead, how do you coach? Mm -hmm. Um, And so I was like, okay,
0: well, I'm not bad at HR. I think people do get a certain amount of satisfaction, even if it's not like their life's calling, but from being good at something, like to be good at your job can give you satisfaction, even if it's not the be all end all of like your interests.
1: I. I feel like it spoke volumes about my broader interest in the company. Like I work at this company that makes beer and brings people together to celebrate special moments and yada, yada, yada and sports. And for me, that was really, that was really important in finding a, job, because at the end of the day, if I knew I wanted to be in HR, but I hated the company or I hated the culture, I would have left years ago. Yeah. If I really love the company and culture and I got a job, let's say, like, in sales, but I wanted to go into HR, it's a lot easier to make that career pivot when you're in the door
0: Mm -hmm. and have proven
1: your basic capabilities. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly.
0: So, it sounds like you developed an enjoyment and a satisfaction in working in Mm -hmm. HR over time, Mm -hmm. which I think is a nice thing to point out, because... I think that I've developed more of my passions over time from doing things Mm -hmm. and learning that there are things that I like. I don't just like inherently come out of the womb just knowing everything that I was going to be passionate about in the course of my life. So you developed this kind of interest or passion for HR from sort of being good at it, succeeding. And you also mentioned something too about the product and that you felt excited about the product that your company produces. How important do you think that is in looking for another job? Like, do you think it's important to be passionate about the product that the company makes?
1: 100%. Mm -hmm. I think there's definitely an argument to be made of having a job to have a job. I think American culture is, whether right or wrong, is you're devoting your life to work. Is that perfect? No. But if that's what we're doing, why would we be working in X job to to get paid if it's like you're going to be miserable doing it? Mm -hmm. Not that there's anything like people have different lives and you work because you need a paycheck. And, you know, not everyone has as many privileges or, you know, know, so I I definitely understand that. But if you're having the opportunity and you're able to have the conversation, lean that way. Because as you grow and build your career, other things come with it as well, too. So might as well just be passionate about whatever product. Um, That's a very CPG mindset. I can't speak to consulting.
0: Yeah, (laughs) for sure. I mean, well... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's a, <laughs> that's that's a your loaded wheelhouse. topic, yeah. yeah. I think part of the reason that I was so dissatisfied with my career in consulting is because I felt like there was no product. Yep. there like Nothing that I worked on ever felt real or tangible. Mm-hmm. And so that is a big part of why I was never satisfied, actually. Yep. Okay. Um, and maybe other people can make the connection a little bit better than I could about... <laughs> You know, oh, I'm consulting for a company that makes beer, so therefore I am affecting the beer industry. Maybe that's how they feel, but I just felt like my end result was PowerPoints.
1: <laughs> you, yeah, where you value satisfaction and the work that you do, it doesn't match with that industry, and that's fine, and you recognize that, and you moved on, right? Yeah. Um, and for me, I, I like the, the CPG industry. I like working for an organization that has a product that in some capacity is celebratory it brings it's fun oh yeah
0: yeah work can be fun and the product that you work on can be fun i am really curious to lean into that conversation because out of all of our friends you were the one who was at your first job first Mm -hmm. career the longest Mm -hmm. and so i wonder how those last eight months shaped up for you like what were the questions that were going through your head
1: yeah it it no longer became a what is my next job Mm. what's my next role what is my next opportunity It became more of a, I've been at this company for six and a half years, what do the next six and a half years look like? What is the next chapter of my career? Mm. Do I continue the path that has been laid out for me and grow and learn? And my big thing, and the thing that kept me at Anheuser-Busch for so long, um, and that I'm forever grateful for, was that I continued to learn and develop in every role and opportunity that I had.
0: Mm. That's great.
1: That was not some- everybody can yeah.
0: say that for a job for more than five, six years. Yeah.
1: And I think that was still gonna be something that would have been available to me in the career that was being mapped out for me and kind of what that growth was gonna look like. Mm. But, you know, my life I think has changed a lot. I finally moved back to New York City.
0: Yeah, you did. I'm
1: back. <laughs> I love it. I always wanted to be here. I always wanted to be back in New York by Long Island with my family, my friends. And I could grow and develop my career at AB by staying in New York City. With somewhat limited, there were definitely options. It's not to say that there weren't, but it's a global company. It's huge. There were conversations. Do I want to go back in the field and go to a brewery? Do I want to go to St. Louis? Absolutely not. Um, Great (laughs) barbecue. Really cool arch. And for me, it was a when I look at my career and my ambitions and how I want to grow and how I want to develop, right, and I want to be a leader for an organization in my career, what's going to set me up the best? Is it staying in CBG and staying in beer and mm-hmm. being that guy? Right. Or is it doing something different? And that was the conversation at a super high level that I had. And I put in my my two weeks, and I have a new opportunity coming up that's in the tech space. So. Yeah! so super super excited it's a company that i'm excited to work for so you yeah Yeah.
0: had this conversation with yourself where you were asking questions like am i still gonna learn and grow with this company which to some extent the answer was yes but also maybe there was an element (gasps) of wanting to know what else was out there and learning and growing your skill set in a different industry
1: Yeah, I made this comment to a few people. I only ever worked at Anheuser-Busch, which people were surprised about. I'm like, oh, I was a trainee kid, right? And I've never quit a job. (laughs) That is a career experience that I've never had.
0: True. It is an experience and a skill that, you know, it's a little bit scary, but...
1: Oh, God, no. I had awful anxiety for the past two weeks.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you finally did it and then it went well. So looking back on your own career journey, what advice would you give to young people who may be questioning their path and figuring out their own professional life crisis?
1: Yeah, I think something that I hear a lot from, uh, like, out of of college, if you're in a program or just, you know, young, ambitious professional Mm -hmm. of what's my next step? And asking that really, really early on, um, and with you, a lot of anxiety, a lot of anxiety. What do I do next? You got promoted a week ago, and now you're like, "What? <laughs> okay, am I, now what? What am I doing next?" Yeah. And I think from that perspective, it is very much a do your role and do it well, and expect a minimum of probably a year in a job, probably longer. Yeah. To Go through more than one cycle of whatever your roles and responsibilities are to deliver results, right? How are you moving the business forward? And then can start thinking about what your next step is going to be. And kind of the next piece of advice is folks that are thinking about their career, I think, come from a place of, well, what's my next step? You tell me.
0: Mm.
1: And I think.
0: Like looking to the company to like looking give to them the that information. Company,
1: yes. Mm-hmm. And I think everyone needs to have more ownership in their career, because at the end of the day, a person's career is going to be unique to them. And so a really good analogy that I've used is like rock climbing, which I know you just did in Colorado. <laughs> I did. yeah, with Catherine. And for some folks, that career that they know they want is going to be climbing Mount Everest. Mm. And that's the ambition, that's the goal. They think they're going to find satisfaction that way. And so they're looking for a how do I do that without thinking like about... Right, with the little playbook. Mm. Um, for other people... The rock climbing is, you know, in a gym. And it's like, you go up and you come back down. You go up and you come back down. And you're getting satisfaction there. And for other folks, it's doing the lateral rock climbing walls. I just want to kind of do this. Mm -hmm. And the satisfaction that they're feeling is the same. Mm -hmm. The accomplishments are different. The experiences are different. But if you can view your career in a rock climbing type analogy of being okay with doing different types of things then that allows you to start to think about what experiences you should be getting to wherever you want to go next. Yeah. Right?
0: I think it is really important also to get to know yourself about what gives you satisfaction. And if it's climbing straight up the ladder, you know, I'm like, okay, I want to be the CEO of this company. Like you got the ladder, you go straight up. Or if it's more like, I enjoy my function, and I want to do that across lots of different companies. I want to have lots of different experiences. I want, like, a broader view of the world and of how companies function. That's a completely different journey, but those both could give you the same amount of satisfaction, like you said.
1: Yeah, and true to 1995 millennial, the other analogy is the Pokemon analogy.
0: (laughs) this pokemon.
1: tell me more um it's career experiences are going to be valuable and you should try to catch them all love it um, <laughs> the nintendo is gonna be or pokemon, catch we're coming. All. pokemon yeah they're gonna be like you can't use this um <laughs> Copyright. <laughs> Don't sue us. Um, it's getting as many career experiences that can be functional are can be professional. It can be working in an HR function is one experience. Working in a sales function is another experience. If you're an HR professional like I am, there's being an HR business partner, being an HR manager, and being kind of that main point of contact for employees. Or you can be working in a COE. You're a corporate recruiter. Mm. Or you work on the benefits and, like, compensation team. These are all different experiences, different Pokemon that you want to collect and have because, ultimately, when you are going against, you know, whatever obstacle, gym leader, to continue with the analogy that we're really stretching out, um, you know, when you're going against those obstacles, you're going to use different experiences that you've collected that are going to be the most relevant to whatever you're being faced with. You're not going to use a water Pokemon for a grass type gym leader that's silly goose energy, right? But, um, you know, for me, and you know, kind of what we talked about before, and you know, my career, I've only ever worked in beer, I've only ever worked in CPG, and mm-hmm. I've never quit a job. So, you only
0: had one Pokemon, up I until then. only
1: had one Pokemon, and it was Squirtle, our favorite one. <laughs> um, I only ever had, you know, one you know, Pokemon, right? Or one kind of broader type of experience that you know, would set me up really well in my career and could definitely be used to, you know, have responses or, you know, actions for different obstacles. Mm -hmm. But it is a more narrow perspective. Yeah. I wanted to diversify. I wanted a different career experience. For my resume, my professional perspective broadens.
0: Yeah. I heard a great analogy from (laughs) someone I used to work with back in consulting. She's lovely. And she said... One of the things on my career bucket list is XYZ. I think she said, one of the things on my career bucket list is to work for a mission-driven company. One of my things on my bucket list is to be like Mm -hmm. VP level at a company. One of the things on my bucket list is to work for a early stage startup and to really build something. And I was like, wait, (laughs) you have a whole bucket list of like, different experiences, and yeah. you're not just thinking about your career like, oh, this is my dream job, and I gotta go straight up there. And and that really changed my perspective, because I realized that there is value yeah. in lots of different types of experiences, just like the Pokémon analogy. Yeah.
1: Managing an employee. Managing a yeah. big team. Owning a p for a business. Mm-hmm. And if you're thinking about your career in these experiences versus a specific role, and there's nothing wrong with thinking about it of, I want to be this job how can I get the experiences that will then make me best suited for that job? Yeah. And it could be a whole bunch of different things. And that allows you to build your own playbook. Mm-hmm. It allows you to go better prepared to speaking with your manager or your HR professional and saying, this is the role that I want, and these are the experiences I think I need to have in order to best prepare myself to do that. How do we go about that? Yeah. If I got that from an employee as an HR oh, manager... That's super mature. I It's super mature. You're thinking about it critically, professionally, and I can now, instead of having a thousand follow-up questions of, well, what are you really trying to do? Why do you really mm. want this role? I can say, here are the resources that we have available to start to get you these experiences.
0: Yeah, to in the role that you're for- already in.
1: Exactly. Yeah, that's yeah. great.
0: I think like leveraging your current role to learn and grow into the next role that you want is a great way to Get that learning and to demonstrate to leadership that you are ready for that next thing.
1: When I was living in California and working in the distribution operation, I knew that a career experience I wanted to have was to support executive VP level um, folks at the at the organization. How can I build my executive presence in that way? And that was a conversation I had with my boss. I got moved to New York City for my next role and yeah. supported the head of our category strategy team um, and was able to learn how to do that. And how to have those conversations with senior leadership versus, you know, my my local team or my sales reps or whatever. It yeah. was different.
0: That's great. Okay. Are you ready for the lightning round questions? Always. Okay. Let's fucking go. Cool. You can use three adjectives to describe yourself at the beginning of your career. What would they be?
1: Um, uh, ambitious. Social. True. Not humble. <laughs> Which was a problem.
0: (laughs) Egotistical maniac over here. Yeah, yeah. 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 We we've all been there. Yeah. What has taught you more? Your failures or your successes?
1: Uh definitely my failures has taught me more. Successes are more gratifying, but failures, you know, it's always important when you fail or when something doesn't go as planned to go back and to understand why like do a five why now like why did this go wrong what happened right and i think for me that was that allowed me to understand where there was a gap in my skill set my approach and how can i refine it for similar issues obstacles in the future Mm. um and that taught me the most Successes are fun though.
0: Successes are fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's really uncomfortable. Like I'm not gonna lie, I fucking hate reflecting on when things don't go well. Yeah. It's it's just like not fun. It's uncomfortable. You have to face some things about yourself and like I wanna think I'm perfect, but of yeah. course I'm not. And
1: to tell yourself that you didn't do well. Yeah. Uh...
0: <sighs> it's it's like uncomfy. Yeah. Hashtag uncomfy. Yeah. Okay. Last question. Passion or paycheck?
1: So, based on the answers I gave earlier, the answer is passion. Um, I think it's so important to work for a company, and organization, or like what gives me joy, right? Um, that you're passionate about. That you can get behind and say, I work for this product, or I work for this organization that has this mission-driven or whatever it is. I think that's so important. With that being said, I do not compromise when it comes to paycheck as well. Right. Because I know the value that I can bring, and also, I am in the air more than most of our friends mm-hmm. flying somewhere, and that's expensive. <laughs> <laughs> it
0: is. And so, you live in New York City, which yeah. is also expensive. Right.
1: But I, I think <laughs> I think passion makes it more enjoyable, it makes it easier, it makes the time go by, mm. um, and I think that's super important.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like what you might be saying is holding constant for paycheck, right. <laughs> then we choose passion. Right, right, right. Um, I, I vibe with that. I think that it does help you pass the time. It's way more fun. It's way more gratifying yeah. to do something that you actually care about. Love it. Love it. Thanks for coming on, Harry. This has been really fun.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah. And you've shared some really important insights, I think, for young people who are going through those periods where they have to level up, and it's, like, really fucking hard. It's not always easy. That growth is not always comfortable. And I think you've shared some really great stories about how you were able to level up. So, how can people find you?
1: Yeah, so folks can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Harry Catalani, um, as Italian as it sounds. (laughs) I didn't say where my next opportunity is going to be, so if you want to follow that career journey, um, you can, can find out. Can find out there, and then Instagram at Harry Catalani. Love it. So same brand,
0: <laughs> <laughs> very on brand.
1: Yeah. No, but uh, I had a blast. Thank Me you. too. Yeah. Me too. This
0: was great.